Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and where authors give voice to the written words. I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co-host, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening. The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hey listeners, this is your co-host Sarah Archer. Before we get into Hannah's interview, I wanted to let you know that Landis and I are releasing a new book that we co-wrote that's now available for pre-order wherever you like to get your books. It's called Death by Podcasting, and it's a fun murder mystery novella with a lot of tongue-in-cheek literary and podcasting references. Bobby Nash, um, the award-winning author of the Snow Thriller series, gave it a read, and he had this to say, I love mysteries, writers, short stories, and podcasts. Sarah and Landis threw all of these favorite things into a blender and created a unique cocktail that's pure fun from start to finish. I think you'll dig it. I did. Thanks to Bobby for that uh, wonderful quote. We'll have more information about the book coming up in our newsletters and up on our website. So if this sounds like it might be up your alley, we encourage you to check it out because that's a great way to help support the podcast. Um, Thanks for listening and now enjoy Hannah's interview. And if you're listening to this on the day it releases, happy Halloween. Hey, listeners, I'm so excited today. It is officially uh, spooky season, so we've got a special Halloween episode. This is actually Halloween today. This is coming out. It's uh, perfect because we have Carissa Orlando, who is the author of her first novel called The September House. It's super scary and creepy, and you're going to love it. (laughs) Um, Carissa has a doctorate in clinical community psychology and specializes in work with children and adolescents in her day job, quote unquote. Carissa works to improve the quality of and access to mental health care for children and their families. Uh, Prior to her career in psychology, Carissa studied creative writing in college and has written creatively in some form since she was a child. Uh, So it was really only a matter of time before Carissa, an avid horror fan for much of her life, merged her understanding of the human psyche and deep love for storytelling into a piece of fiction. Carissa, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Happy Halloween. Oh my gosh, I know. This is uh, the perfect book and author to talk with. I'm glad that you were able to join us today. This is definitely an awesome, (laughs) spooky season read. So you're an avid horror fan. Tell me a little bit about that. How did you kind of get into that um, genre in general? It kind of, it, it sort of took me over. I've more or less been into horror since since I was a kid, I think I started kind of seeking out scary movies and read a lot of Stephen King and things like that. But this past like maybe five years or so, it almost became like the exclusive thing that I was focused on. It kind of just took me over where um, that's like all the books I'm reading right now are horror. Um, all the all the movies I watch are horror. I think my spouse is very happy when he can convince me to watch something that's not horror. He's seen a lot of bad horror. I just, uh, there's there's something weirdly, I almost describe it as cozy about consuming something scary when you are safe at home. There's kind of a lovely feeling to it. That's interesting. I don't think I've ever really thought of it like that, but that's true. You know, it is kind of like spooky season, cozy season, like yeah. curling up on your couch when it's kind of like bats are outside or something. You're yeah. like, but I'm safe in here reading a book. Um, actually, at the time that we are recording this, I think uh, a new Mike Flanagan show is about to come out, The Fall of the House of Usher. Are you excited? I just I just watched the trailer <laughs> for it yesterday. I'm I'm very excited for it. We're oh, my gosh. 
<laughs> yeah, I can't wait. That's going to be my weekend plans, I think, is binge watching. <laughs> what are some of your favorite Stephen King books? Oh, goodness. That's such an excellent question. I've, I've been saying needful things just for like a, the weird like nostalgia of it. I just genuinely mm-hmm. loved that book. Um, I think I cranked through most of it on a really long car trip my family was taking. And I was finishing it just at the time we were arriving home. And at this point, like, you know, we'd been in the car for like eight hours that day. And I'm like, I'm just going to stay in here and finish, <laughs> finish the book. Um, I just enjoyed it. And I like, I weirdly cite Cujo as one of like my favorite reading experiences because mm-hmm. um, I'm hoping I'm not spoiling a book that I think came out in the 70s. <laughs> like it, the ending is very brutal. Um, and I just remember finishing the book and literally chucking it across the room. <laughs> just like, screw this book. It's like, <laughs> so cruel. <laughs> and now I'm like, that's incredible. Like I, I don't, I can count like on the number, the number of times on one hand that I've like gotten so emotionally uh, upset at a book that I threw it across the room. So yeah. Oh points, my gosh. You points know, to Cujo in many domains. <laughs> I always I feel like I've brought up Stephen King a lot on this show just like how and I've read so much about him as a person too where it's like what is his his mind just has to be such a um you know busy place first and foremost but you know how does he come up with these ideas do you feel like as the author of you know in the horror genre what is your brain like (laughs) 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 how much time do we have um plenty yeah um i i joked with my spouse once about like the the ideas that are on paper are the ones i let escape (laughs) he was like that's really creepy um i think i mean i don't want to speak for everybody but i think writers there has to be kind of like a constant churning going on in your brain and like Mm -hmm. a constant sort of what if like, what if this normal thing was abnormal? Or what if this happened? Or what if that happened to kind of take maybe something that's everyday and turn in a little bit funky. And there I think there has to be like a lack of fear of the shit your brain can come up with. Mm-hmm. Like, just because it's bonkers or wild or creepy like that could make an incredible story. Um, right. And you have to be okay with going there. Right. And I think for you, too, I, you know, I always think that um, we had Jennifer McMahon on the show last year and she was kind of talking about, uh, you know, like a lot of her books. It's it's about your brain and how scary it can get in there, kind of like what you're saying. And I'm sure um, and I, I feel like that, too. It's like sometimes you feel like your biggest mystery, which is why I love the the horror kind of thriller genre. It's like not only is there a situation happening in the story, but it's also kind of like figuring yourself out. And I'm sure for you, with your background in psychology and working with children, especially, you know, I'm, did you have kind of like endless inspiration or material to work with? or how does that job kind of influence your writing to an extent so there's never been like specific clients or anything that have influenced my my work but more of like things I have learned about things I've seen and I I think what's going to rise to the top a little bit more and at least the works I'm putting out immediately are like popular misconceptions about mental health issues um about some of the topics that September House is about, um, about grief, like just, just uh, these these things that 
we as a culture misunderstand and have stories about that are like cute, but wildly inaccurate. Um, and so I think I've been, I've been liking to kind of correct those misconceptions through story. Yeah. Well, I think that's great. I mean, and kind of that's, that's a good segue into the book in general, which, I mean, there are tons of topics in here and just sort of themes that are woven into um, the story. And just to give our listeners sort of an idea of what it's about, it's um, kind of, you know, it's a haunted house story, but totally different, right? So, and I think that's kind of crazy to say, because I think, you know, the con- the uh, my thought ahead of reading this book was sort of like, okay, haunted house stories you kind of get the idea you people they, they're trying to escape the house and they got to get out um kind of thing but in this story our protagonist margaret um she and her husband move into a house that they you know quickly learn is haunted um she doesn't want to leave uh she kind of learns how to live in the house and every september the house physically bleeds and um lots of crazy stuff happens in there there's ghosts and or pranksters as you call them which i think that's awesome I love that. Um, And so, yeah, she kind of learns how to live with the house as it is, but her husband uh, doesn't. And he kind of disappears and her daughter comes to help her try to figure out what's going on. And um, it's really just an exciting, it's an exciting story that never really seems to slow down. So Mm -hmm. how did you, I guess, let's just start with a bigger question. You know, how did you come up with this idea, this concept that's kind of a different idea from what we usually think of when we hear haunted house story. Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of came from exactly what you were saying is that we were pretty familiar with the haunted house genre and tropes at this point of like, move into haunted house, find out it's haunted, escape, flee. Um, and so the idea that popped into my head was what if, what if someone lived in just this incredibly haunted house, but we're totally fine with it. Like had found a way of just peacefully coexisting with the ghosts, like these, horrible things are kind of happening in their periphery and they're just making their breakfast or something like that. Um, And I found that idea just endlessly hilarious. And eventually a a story grew out of it. But that's, (laughs) that's basically how it started. Just being like, yeah, we've we've heard these haunted house stories before. Right. You want to do something different, but that's totally true. I find myself uh, while I was reading this, it is kind of funny um like and I can talking with you now I can kind of feel that feel your personality in, in it a little bit just sort of your sense of humor uh, which I love I love that um but it's it's kind of funny because you know Margaret's here talking with Frederica is the uh you know I guess you'd call her the housemaid ghost yeah. <laughs> who has a giant like axe in her forehead and she's <laughs> uh, serving tea and things like that you know and uh it's it's funny because margaret's sort of just talking with her mm-hmm. as if she's a normal like it's a normal thing to yeah. be doing which i think is really really funny um did you kind of have it in your mind a goal that you wanted to kind of weave in humor into this story like have your readers laugh or was it sort of just something that happened as you're building out the characters probably a little bit of both I I think that because the initial concept I found hilarious there was always going to be humor in there and I Mm -hmm. as you've noticed I have a very dark sense of humor um I can be very sarcastic and so it's funny the people who know me who read the book are like yeah I can see you in this book like this 100% makes sense Whereas I think maybe the people who read it who don't know me are like, what's happening? Um, 
but there was always kind of humor throughout. And it was only once it became apparent that the book was going to go to some slightly darker places or some very darker places that I needed to pull the humor back and be very aware of what scenes do I want to hit hard and I don't necessarily want to rescue readers from with humor um, versus what can be an incredibly kind of ghastly thing that's going on or being described, but the humor is in there to kind of show how Margaret is coping with it not affected yeah. by it, and et cetera. We have an affiliation with Libro.fm because you can get audiobooks from them, and when you do, you support independent bookstores. If you'd like to sign up with them for your audiobooks, use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER and claim your free audiobook. Um, I think there's a line kind of towards, I guess towards the beginning a little bit, where she, and I guess maybe a little bit based on you based off of what you're saying about loving horror movies and that kind of thing. But she says, uh, what I think is so neat about horror movies is that they shine a light on what we think is scary, not just ghosts and demons, but we find really scary. Um, these movies are so memorable because they play off of things that we as a society find terrifying. Um, I love that. I felt like that was a really insightful, uh, you know, line because there's also this huge fascination that we have with horror movies and you know like we're talking about Mike Flanagan's new show coming out and then serial killer documentaries things like that um which it can also it is kind of like what do we find really scary as a society what is your answer to that question I'm kind of curious just what did you what kind of fears did you want to weave into this book or what are what are your biggest fears Mm. Those are likely three different answers. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I think that the, the, the thing that was woven into this book that I think we all find kind of universally terrifying, which I think is true of haunted house stories as well, is the idea that we cannot be safe at home. Um, and since home is the one place that we believe that we are safest, we can lock our doors, we can, you know hide under the covers and and whatnot and the ghosties won't get us or the bad the bad things won't come when we're at home and so what i think is so terrifying about the haunted house trope is that it's kind of like no no you're not you're not safe at home that's kind of an an illusion um and, and to a certain extent that's true you know we're not necessarily safe at home um but it helps us to think that we are so we can go to sleep at night um and I think that everyone is kind of afraid of their home being invaded by something that they can't control and, and maybe can't get rid of. And then where I think the September house leads into that even more is the notion that not only is sometimes our home unsafe, but also the, the, the loved ones who surround us can also be incredibly unsafe. And we might not know until it's, I don't want to say too late, but we might not know until we're in the right. thick of it. Right. I, you know, I think, um, yeah, the thick of it. And in this book, the thick of it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty <laughs> pretty <thick>. wild. <laughs> <laughs> it's super exciting. I love it. Um, but no, and I think that's an interesting point. And part of at the heart of this book, too, is the relationship that Margaret has with her daughter, uh, Catherine. So the two of them. So I guess, you know, we could say the center of it is, is, is Margaret, her husband, Hal, who has left um, at the start of the story and Catherine, who comes to help her. 
um, you know, or really forces herself back into yeah. the house to like try to help. Cause you know, you can kind of feel that relationship is tense between mm-hmm. mother and daughter. So can you talk a little bit about that relationship between Catherine and Margaret and how you sort of fleshed it out? What were your goals with the two of them? I absolutely love, I love Catherine. She is so fun to write because she's a fairly complicated character. Like she has also been through some stuff. Um, and whereas Margaret kind of reacted by saying, almost like turning a blind eye to things, being like, everything is fine. I can survive. Catherine became very angry. And I mean, that anger probably held like uh, covers up like a fear and a helplessness and et cetera. But she's kind of angry at the world, but she's angry, especially at Margaret. And she kind of looks down at Margaret for the things that she perceives that Margaret couldn't do um, when Catherine was a child. And she has a very skewed perception of the sacrifices that Margaret made. And so when she comes back, there's kind of this begrudging obligation kind of a love for her mother that she kind of can't deny, but also this anger that she recognizes as a problem in herself and has really caused her trouble in her life, um, but she kind of can't quite shake. And so their relationship has, has always, well, it's been strained for quite a while. And so it's not starting from this perfect place. Like they're not really on the same side in what they're trying to do. But Margaret's love for Catherine is, it's its very clear. Like you can never doubt that. And her need to protect Catherine is also very clear. And it really shows the lengths that Margaret will go to, to protect Catherine. Um, and so it's fun to just watch them interplay, like having this rough relationship, kind of never quite seeing eye to eye, but still loving each yeah. other throughout it. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that's family, right? Yeah. So that's kind yeah. Of, you, know, you, you, you go through different ebbs and flows and you love each other. You try your best to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Along the way. Yeah. Um, I'm getting. Yeah. Right. I'm getting the impression that these characters probably stick with you a lot. Right. So did you yeah. ever feel like you're kind of talking to them like they were sort of telling you the story, you know, kind of margaret on your shoulder or did they ever leave you alone that kind of thing (laughs) it's funny because that's happened i think more with other characters that i've written that aren't in the book where it's like i'll literally have a conversation with them like what's all right what's gonna happen next (laughs) just like a good writing exercise (laughs) like i'm a little stuck like can you talk me through what's gonna happen here (laughs) they're like yeah you need to do a b and c i'm like oh cool (laughs) i almost feel like i need to (laughs) co-author with a character (laughs) But you should. Yeah. <laughs> Featuring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my um, gosh. That's... I think of the characters, Margaret is the one that I think had the most to say. Like she's the one that kind of stated how things were gonna go and what her reactions were gonna be. And she's the one that like if in the editing process it would be like they, this needs to be tweaked or something like that, and someone would maybe pitch an idea and be like, Margaret would never do that. <laughs> She would never, I was just like advocating for her. Like she would never say that. Don't put words in her mouth. No. no. <laughs> never. No. Oh my gosh. I loved Margaret. I feel like she's one of those characters to me that she had a very specific way of speaking and, you know, mm-hmm. like way of communicating with people she loves, but also with these pranksters and ghosts in the house these relationships she builds (laughs) she's such a good character um do you have a selection that you could read for us 
Yeah. Um, and I think this is actually kind of a good illustration of the point you were just making in terms of Margaret's communication with um, some of the pranksters. Look at me not marking my place when I was like, I'm going to read this one. Hold on. <laughs> Um, you got this <laughs> okay we got it we got it there all right so this is this is um, from chapter one but this is margaret has just received a call from her daughter Catherine, who's been increasingly insistent um that she's she wants to know what's going on with her dad and so this kind of demonstrates how margaret interacts with some of the pranksters all right so margaret looks at her phone one missed call one voicemail and a series of text messages all from Catherine. Call me back, she texted, then, as soon as you can, then, I really need to talk to you about dad. Shit, shit, shit. She was getting more and more insistent. She used to just text, which was so much easier to ignore. Then she started calling, which was harder to avoid. She was calling almost daily now, and the text message follow-up pointed at only an increase in urgency. I'm not giving up, it said. I can outlast you. I would have to call her back, appease her. The phone chimed in my hand. Another text message from Catherine, whose ears must have been burning. You're ignoring me, I sighed. My finger was hovering over the screen, about to press call, when I looked up and caught the sight of a small, slim figure hovering wordlessly near the basement door. Not quite there, but not not there either. A little girl, sallow skin, chunks of dirty hair hanging over her face. She wore a dress that might have once been blue with little white flowers dotting the fabric, but was now more of a slate, approaching black. At one point, something terrible had happened to her skull. One of her eyeballs, not quite solid anymore, drooped from its socket as she stared at me. Everything in this house stared at me. Little pranksters playing a staring contest, seeing who would be the first to blink. Angelica. This one was Angelica. She was the first of many who would arrive, a Paul Revere of sorts. They were coming. I didn't know their names, all of them, but I knew Angelica. Hi, Angelica, I said, resting my phone back on the counter. It was September, all right. The children arrived, one by one, in September. Angelica said nothing. She never did. She lifted an arm as thin as, and knotted as a tree branch and pointed a grimy finger at the basement door. Oh, I'd fallen for that one before. That first September, when I thought all these apparitions were problems for me to solve, I'd fancied myself a regular Nancy Drew and thrown myself into whatever wild goose chase these pranksters wanted to send me on. I've since learned better. Some mysteries don't need to be solved, only coped with. That's one of the reasons for the boards nailed over the basement door. One of the many reasons, that is. You know I'm not doing that, Angelica, I said. Angelica, of course, said nothing. Her pointing finger never wavered. It's nice to see you again, I said, changing the subject. I didn't expect a response, but wanted to be polite nonetheless. Pointing. Nothing. Well, I lifted my phone off the counter, making plans to call Catherine for my studio. I'd better get going. Things to do today. I turned and was nearly out of the kitchen when I heard a tiny voice behind me. He's down there. Well, that was new. I turned and looked at Angelica. Oh, I asked. He's down there, she repeated, her voice like rusty wind chimes. Angelica usually didn't speak. None of the pranksters did, aside from Frederica. Sure, they made little sounds like sobbing or wailing or howling or shrieking or that dying jet engine noise like Elias, but never words, never full sentences. 
I wondered what had brought this about. Very probably, this was due to me ignoring her pointing finger, walking away from the basement instead of down into it, like the travesty that had been last September. When Catherine was little and I told her she couldn't have a cookie before dinner, she would whine and cry and stomp her feet, knowing that sometimes if I was tired, I would give in. She could outlast me even then. If this was Angelica's version of a temper tantrum, I would take it. She couldn't outlast me like Catherine. I had grown stronger and the stakes were higher. But of course, Angelica was right. He was down there in the basement. He had been down there since Hal and I moved in. The basement, it seemed, was where he lived. Hence the boards. I wondered if the others would also talk to me when they arrived. A part of me was interested in having someone else to talk to, but it was unlikely they'd be good conversationalists. I know, Angelica. I said, thanks. I turned and walked towards the studio. Behind me, I heard a sound like gasping for air that grew into a high-pitched scream before an abrupt silence. Angelica was gone, at least for the moment. Ah, that was great. And, you know, I, f I feel like I love um, at the start of that selection that you picked, um, you kind of talk about the role of the house. Um, the house is basically a character in this, too. Mm -hmm. um, I think it read what the ha everything in this house stares at me. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about just the development of the house itself? Like, how did you create the character and the setting of mm -hmm. this house, the haunted house, the book? Yeah, I mean, it, the hauntings within the house themselves came from me just wanting to create the world's most haunted house. So like all of the tropes I could think of, I just kind of tossed into this one house. Um, and watching Margaret interact with these various hauntings and the various things in the house kind of created this little relationship of, all right, how is she going to deal with this room or this thing or this entity? Um, it felt appropriate that it was a Victorian house because these kind of old houses have their stories and have the things that happened to them, but are also like unspeakably beautiful. And so it was also important for me that this house isn't like an exclusively negative entity. Like there are definitely negative parts of it and very dangerous parts of it, but then there are also bits that Margaret enjoys and really loves I mean the house in and of itself is beautiful there are rooms that Margaret really likes like she really likes the kitchen obviously we avoid the heck out of the basement um even like different bedrooms have their different vibes in terms of who's haunting them and what's going on in there so it is a very like it, it's not a one-dimensional house you know there's right <laughs> positives and negatives For all things Charlotte Readers Podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find a list of all episodes, an alphabetical guest list with links, detailed show notes for each episode, a community blog, and more. We'd love to have you visit. So one thing I wanted to make sure I asked you about or talk a little bit about is the um, just the aspect or the theme of survival throughout this book. So, you know, there's a line that you see several times throughout the story, which is everything is survivable. Um, and then, you know, on the front, you can survive anything. It's, it's right there on the front front and center. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like you get that idea as soon as you pick up the, the book. Um, like, okay, these people are going to have to survive some things. So what can you talk just a little bit about survival, like how you wanted to weave that in? I mean, obviously, it's horror, and there's going to be things you have to survive. But that <laughs> metaphor a little bit just mm -hmm. kind of how you did that yeah 
I, I think I, I appreciate it a lot because this is, well, I'm half and half with, with Margaret on it where I think sometimes I'll, I'll get this, asked that question like, can you survive anything? And my answer is sassy, mm-hmm. like, no, if you get hit by a car, you're not, you're not going to survive no. that. Like, there are limits, uh, most of them physical. But I think in terms of like, like emotional or traumatic experiences, yeah, you can survive quite a lot. And I think that there is something to know that even even going through horrific experiences, we as humans can get through them and we can find ways to cope and ways to manage. And it doesn't mean that it isn't horrible and it doesn't mean that it's not going to stay with us in some way, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be the end of us either. And I think that Margaret and I are kind of aligned in that. And you can survive a lot. You can get through things you thought you would never be able to get through and come out on the other end. Maybe a little bit different, but you're there. And I, right. I, I don't know. That's She takes it a little too far sometimes, but at the core, <laughs> she and I are in agreement. <laughs> Yeah, well, you can kind of tell she she has kind of forced herself to believe that. Um, yeah, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which I think it's like I said, you can definitely feel. It makes complete sense to me that you have all of this experience with the brain <laughs> in psychology, you know, because you can feel that. Um, and just, I mean, you do a great job too of kind of um, showing and not telling. So just kind of showing who these people are, uh, which I find I really love that when I'm reading a book and you kind of can tell who the person is based off of how they act. Um, so I think that was that was really powerful. Um, I wanted to ask you, so what did it, anything scare you while you were writing this book? Is there what anything freak you out? Any of the ghosts or pranksters or... <laughs> I'm I'm very hard to scare in books, ah. particularly. Um, and I think it's hard to scare yourself when you're writing something because, like, you know how it's going to end. <laughs> like, you you know how it's going to go, if they're going to survive the thing or not. The closest thing I came is when I was – there was a scene where – I don't think this is a spoilery, but it does hit in the middle of the book where Margaret and Hal go into the basement that I – as I was rereading it, I'm like, I think this might be effectively creepy because I could kind of feel a little like, ooh, sort of going on. So I was like, oh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully other people are finding this as well if I am also finding it. Um, but yeah, I'm, oh. I'm hard to scare. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, I know you're in South Carolina. Are you in South Carolina right now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I actually used to live in Charleston uh, oh, for nice. many years and I just uh, moved to Cincinnati for a year. But, you know, in Charleston, obviously, like there's no basements or anything like that there. It's yeah. they will flood. There's yeah. no way that's going to happen. <laughs> um, here, there are basements in every single house you go to. And like, I feel like I'm, I love, like I said, I love you know scary books and movies and all sorts of stuff and I find myself being like (laughs) don't open the door to the basement (laughs) and as I was reading this it was like (laughs) I was just uh you know up at night late reading this probably at like 11 o'clock at night or something like that and I'm just like (laughs) avoiding that door altogether (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, so effectively, <laughs> effectively scary. Um, a couple more questions. I think we have time for just about your writing in general. So, you know, in, in your bio and, and I was reading a little bit about you online, it says you, you've kind of dabbled in creative writing in some shape or form for most of your life. So, and this is your first novel, right? Okay. So this was your first. So what was that journey like for you just writing, um, throughout your life what else have you written what are you, what's your what are your plans um in terms of what else I've written like I said I've dabbled so like I have like like a short story or two and some bad poetry published in like college like <laughs> literary journals it's like okay um but I guess like nothing substantial because I took a big deviation away from the creative writing while I was doing the whole psychology thing um all of my mm-hmm. writing was very non-creative and a a little boring. Um, and so when I was finishing up with the, the psychology journey, we have like a year internship where it's just clinical work. And I had all of this weird free time all of a sudden that I didn't know what to do with. And so this idea kind of came simultaneously and I was like, Oh, let's, yeah, let's write this down and do it quickly before it goes away. (laughs) Um, And so I got the whole thing written fairly quickly, like writing in the evenings or like on my lunch break, like if I didn't have session prep to do or anything like that. Um, And so I got the thing written. I started like at the end of 2019 and it was the first draft at least was done before COVID hit in 2020. And then I spent COVID like editing and getting it into a, a presentable format and then kind of started querying. Um, queried for a pretty solid year and landed with my agents at Folio in the summer of 2021 and then had a, had a book deal in the fall. So like that, that after like getting representation, that was a very whirlwind of like, Oh, things are happening. Like we're getting this exciting. ready to submit and it got picked up. It was super, it was very cool. <laughs> very, very oh exciting. My <laughs> Congratulations. That's Thank amazing. <laughs> I know the querying process is like super hard and grueling too. Yeah. So I'm sure. Water rejection. That- very fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to look. Yeah. Fun yeah. times. But look at you now. That's water great. Rejection. And what do you think is, are you going to stick with, um, you know, writing horror or what, what's next for you? Yeah, definitely sticking with horror. It's, it's, it's the only thing I can find super interesting. <laughs> My brain works how it works. That's, that's we don't we don't mess with it. Um, yeah, definitely gonna stick with horror. And I think, kind of based on what I can tell of the things that have been coming out with me, it's gonna coming out of me. It's gonna be like horror with kind of the, a mental health sort of angle. And again, trying very hard, like not to be. I have a whole soapbox I can get onto about how I think mental health is handled not super well in media in general and horror specifically. Um, And so not being exploitative or demonizing or villainizing mental health, but just using that, using the story as a vehicle to correct misconceptions and present kind of an alternative narrative to um, mental health issues broadly speaking. Um, but yeah, you're gonna see horror, you're gonna see some spooky stuff. You'll probably see some of that dark humor because I can't mm-hmm. stop it. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> 
That's amazing. I mean, that's you're pretty much talking my language. I can't wait to see what you do next. Um, I love, I love all of that. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on here today. And again, this is the perfect conversation. I feel like for uh, Halloween, October, getting in the um, scary season. So maybe next year with your next book, we'll have to have you back on. Yeah, fingers <laughs> crossed. <laughs> you got us. Well, thank you so much, Carissa. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. All right, let me do my my outro. Everyone just read on, write on, and rock on.